Good morning, Mylies. Good morning. I am. Uh, how so are you I'm, doing? I'm doing all right. And yourself? I know you've had a we're a little late today because a few technical issues on the <laughs> on your business side. But that's the fun of owning your own business, right? Oh, it and it's um, it's um, you know, technology, right? Yeah, yeah. We rely it's, on um, it. It's a love-hate relationship with me and technology. So um, we had a server that had kind of aged, you know, computers become old yeah. at some point. And so um, we um, we started a, a move um, from one server to upgrade to a new server um, back in February. But like there was hundreds of clients on that server so um it took some time to uh to finalize and to move everybody over and of course you know there's always a little bit of glitches here and there because you know shit happens and yeah anyway so yeah so and just uh we did this uh this this last little bash on the weekend but oh, i'm sorry which is why i'm so tired um and then, uh, yeah, some some issues in, were encountered uh, this morning. So I had a couple of clients knocking on my door <laughs> for so cause. Like I mean, they were yeah, yeah. You know, the, everybody relies on on everything so much, email yeah, and do. websites, and so yeah. So it's actually scary how much we rely on it, and we realize how much we rely on it when something goes down, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you Sad. know, businesses do so much business through email yep. that. Hi. Anyway, hopefully they'll be okay till after the show. Yeah, I've, I'm sure they will. I'm, I'm finding the issues anyway, so I, it should be a easy resolve after that. So. Good. Good. Perfect. Yeah. I'm trying. I, my resolve is this damn glare in my glasses. It's just look at this one. Is this like a line? Well, this side, this side. I can't get rid of it. At least you can see my eyes a little bit. So excuse no. the glare. <laughs> Told you what to do. You got to flip over. You got to move that on the too. other side. I did. I tried that. Nothing seemed to help. So little Weird. by little. Yeah, I know. You need anti-glare glasses. I know. That's <laughs> next on my list. Yeah. Anyway. So we have an interesting guest today. We do. Yes, we. Um, she's actually um, the uh, topic of Lisa Gray's uh, column this month in the Seeker. Um, so it's uh, yep. the wondrous life of Jess Petipas. I don't. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing this right or not. We'll ask her how it's pronounced. But um, yeah, so uh, she is a. Um, a survivor. She has been uh, navigating the mental health system for many, many years, and she's now advocating for better everything because, you know, it's quite, um, it's quite the ordeal to try to get the help and the help is there. It's just that oftentimes we don't know where to go. And um, so she's going to come and uh, talk about that and, and tell us uh, uh, her tips but it's, life it's, experience. it's not always about not knowing it's you have to get on a list and then there's waiting and this and that, you know, so that's another issue too, at this point, I think. 
Yeah, especially with the pandemic, like so many yeah. of us have had issues and, and you know, um, I think I think the pandemic has probably um, given a lot of us a new um, perspective, outlook and yep. perspective on mental health, because yep. a lot of us who would not have necessarily been prone to, um, you know, mental issues before have really gone in a dark place. So yeah. um, so we can relate to all relate this. a lot more. Yeah. So I'll bring her on right away. Welcome, Jess. Hi. Hello. Good morning. Hi. Your hair. It's so um, Harlequin. Very, very, yeah. I actually, I'm a wigger. I wig out. Oh, cool. I've been wearing wigs for a very long time because I was, I had my first bout of melanoma back in 2017. I'm actually going through another bout right now and we're successfully doing well. But since they had to remove abscess and um, uh, from my head, I just thought, you know what? I'm gonna buy some wigs and I've been wearing them for two years now. So you will never know what I look like walking around town. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. So mel yeah. multiple melanoma, you've got that. Uh yeah, melanoma, you know my I, dad I, 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 my dad had yeah, it actually. It's uh, it, it's fun. I right now I've got it targeted just on my back. I've always just had surface, and you know I have such a positive attitude based on the things that I've been through, which you will probably hear about today. Um, that, and that's why I'm able to talk about things so openly. Um, because I've completely removed this stigma from my life entirely. Um, and also when I see it in our city, I'm very apt to use a positive frame of mind to um, uh, to try and address that publicly. I won't walk by injustice. I'm not that girl. And uh, you, you, you may have heard stories. I know there are a few throughout town, uh, crazy ones. Some of them are true. Believe them all. Um, <laughs> but I remember one time in particular, I was walking down the street in East End Cornwall and I saw a girl who was suffering. She was, you could obviously see that she was withdrawing. And uh, I went over and I happened to have a, a yogurt in my purse and I sat down beside her and had a conversation with her. Um, I think she was very shocked by that, um, extremely um, cautious. But because I was able to share with her, you know, hey, I, I've been there, you know, and just feel it out because the best person to help another person with mental health or addiction issues is another person with mental health or addiction issues. And it just so happened that a police officer was driving by and I wagged him down. Mm -hmm. And I had them take it. I had them, them take us. And anyways, I don't know what transpired after that, but that's not the point. The point is I did not walk by her. I did not ignore her. I did not insult her or engage in other types of derogatory commentary with my community. That is called stigma free living. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So back onto the melanoma. <clears throat> I don't have any family history. My mom's adopted. My dad's an only child. So I have no children. I have uh, uh, no close relatives. I have some second relatives. I've met them once, so it doesn't count. Um, so I really only have me to rely on. So the first time, I didn't tell anyone because of the stigma of being a recovered person with substance abuse disorder, mental health issues, and then now I'm two years sober and I've got melanoma? Mm. 
that was a process. This time I am talking about it because I'm five years plus into my recovery. And um, I've learned so much from the capsule organization and not all, which I have brought to Cornwall. And we had our first recovery day Cornwall this year where we had every single resource in and around the surrounding areas there. And that one day we had our MPs and we also had the mayor there and he went to every booth. Uh, Glenn is a wonderful man. He even spoke with me and, and to, to the crowd. It was horrible weather, uh, but we have been told by the city that we will put in proclamation a recovery day Cornwall for next oh, year. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's so that, that really, but I'm going off on a tangent. Pardon <laughs> That's me. That's okay. That is fine. We can be all over the place and, and uh, viewers, if you have any questions for Jess, uh, you're welcome to type them into the chat and we'll ask. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am. I'm really that's what I was most looking forward to. When you asked me to do this, my brain went to immediately all the people that message periodically over the years. I can answer them all in a whole. I, I've yeah. never done a podcast, so I was nervous. <laughs> um, but we're here now and I'm just talking to two other women um, that obviously are passionate about talking about the issues in our community. And I, how can I pass up an opportunity like that? That would be ridiculous. Yeah. So thank well, you. We, we, we both have a very um, hands-on experience as well um, because a lot mm -hmm. of people around our, our, our circle have been struggling with mental health and addictions. Like my first husband was uh, manic depressive. So it was a lot of highs and lows, I've, which I've lived, you know, the person with the person lives it completely differently from the person themselves, but it's still living it. And, um, you know, and and then I had a, a bout of uh, um, depression back in like 20 years ago, but still it was uh, it was it was something that opened my eyes because I was always so critical mm -hmm. of my ex-husband. Like I'm like, just kick yourself out of it, you know, like mm -hmm. just just, <laughs> just just kick yourself out of it. Then I had chemical imbalances don't respond well to kicking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and with uh, with me as well, my uh, my. Oldest son, 33 years old. He just recently passed away this past November. And he had mm -hmm. issues. He was self-medicating, you know, trying to deal with stuff. And we were trying to help him the best we could too. But he had a major, he had a massive heart attack. So I don't know mm -hmm. what triggered it. If it was the stress he was living, we're not sure at this point. And we'll probably never know. But I'm having a hard time dealing with all that right now too. Because he was really you know? too young to go. That's a touchy topic that I'm I'm going to touch on. I'm touching it. Um, so stigma and the way people die kind of go together because we're so sensitive to the families and we're so sensitive to the words that we use in our social structure that when people die of overdose, you don't see that. It says heart attack. It's and I'm not assuming anything. I'm making a point here. It yeah, no. says heart attack. It says heart condition. It says failure. It's an overdose, people, due to the condition of substance abuse over a long period of time. Part of I, I think that's kind of like a sticky situation because, you know, say I'm a woman and my husband dies of uh, overdose mm -hmm. and nobody knew he was an addict. Well, therefore, that shame is passed on to me. Mm -hmm. And how am I supposed to heal through that if I can't talk about it? And then also there's, I don't want anybody to know he was an addict or substance had substance abuse disorder. So, you know, like if we don't talk about it, 
how the hell are we ever supposed to recognize it? Right. Yeah. So that's something that bothers me a lot. I know five people that have passed away in two months here in our town. And, and, you know, we know, you know, we know, and that's not acceptable. It's not, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I don't know where else to go with that, except that if we were more honest as human beings in general, um, that right there, the words we use are what make it easier for the next person to not die in silence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is just a theory that I have, right? Um, also, there's a lot of things that people don't know, like a, substance abuse and mental health affects every single human being, whether they have it or not, yeah. you know? And uh, I'm just so passionate because of the way I've been treated. Um, I've been in and out of the, well, this is the easiest way. When I speak, this is usually what I say. I'm 41 years old. And out of my 41 years on this planet, if you add it all up, I have spent 14 consecutive years locked up, either in a children's institution, RO, Robert Smart Center, Juvenile Institution, Orleans, Ottawa, when it was co-ed, Innis. Innis is a little preschool for federal, been there too. So I've been, I've been in the system. I know the flaws. I've also worked on a couple of government panels, honorarium panels with Dr. Teresa, our healthcare professional. Um, also the corrections board. Why? Why you ask? Mm-hmm. Because they need people that are uninstitutional. I had to be my own fucking hero. Oh, oh pardon my language. <laughs> it's <laughs> fine. Anything goes. We're not censored. We're on the internet. I was going to no. try and get through this without swearing. Oh, uh, I, I swear <laughs> like a, oh, I swear like a sailor, so don't worry yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. It's, it's apparently <laughs> a sign of intelligence, so. <laughs> well, I'll take that. Um Yeah, so basically what I'm saying without yapping too much is that the system is flawed. Mm -hmm. There are some professionals that are so beautifully trying to work with us to help the system. I actually do go into schools and some um, uh, medical facilities and teach nurses and social workers how to use recovery first language stigma ends with me because they're not trained. In, In five to nine years of medical school, Doctors and nurses only get four weeks of addiction training. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. They don't get any training on on language, detachment, or any of those things. How do I know this? I researched the crap out of it because I wanted to make sure that when I go out there in, in, in our community or wherever I'm going, that I am saying what I mean, meaning what I say when I say it, and not being mean when I say it, making sure that I have educated stats, Um, because listen, offense and defense is war. Any way you look at it, I'm Switzerland. Mm -hmm. I I want to be neutral. (laughs) I, you know, I'm one of those people I've had, I do have some social issues. I have a lot of social issues. Um, I was born with a psychosis. Um, I, I, you know what? I'm open to talk about it. You will hear me a lot not use labels. I think you've noticed that already. I'm not labeling myself an alcoholic or an addict. I'm not telling you what mental disorders I have. Do you know the reason for that? Um, you don't want to use labels? <laughs> <laughs> well, because Flame you want to... You you don't want to see the addiction or the illness. You want to. It's reinforcing it. Like if 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 you're label it, you're kind of reinforcing it. I guess. <laughs> Sorry, puppy. Yeah, it's it's the definition of stigmatizing yourself. 
Uh-huh. Why would I put a, you know, the minute I removed what I, that label and I started saying, like saying hello to someone. Um, the first time was maybe three years ago. I said, hello, my name's Jezebel and I'm a person living gratefully well with um, mental disorders. They, they were curious. <laughs> Yeah, they didn't they didn't, you know, instead of, you know, like there's nothing wrong with whatever you choose to say, but words do have power. So when I use them, I want them. Yeah, I want them to have the power of I am a person. My name is Jezebel. I'm a human being. Not and I will say it once out loud. I am Jezebel. I have schizophrenia, ADHD, um, social anxiety and severe anxiety and uh, substance abuse disorder. Yeah. That hurts me to say out loud. It really does. Yeah. Because when I say it out loud, it allows people to judge me. Yeah. And that is the reason why we don't get help. So um, returning to the four weeks of, of training that mental health people have. So let's say you're a person who was suffering with, with one of the illnesses that you, you mentioned, whatever, and, and you're in crisis and you end up in, in a hospital because you're in crisis. You go to the emergency, right? Like that's what, mm-hmm. that's where you would go. And people don't know how to handle the situation they, or how to. They don't. They don't. I can tell you an incident that I went to the Cornwall hospital. I actually wrote about it publicly uh, two years ago. I went there and I sat in a waiting room for over six hours with someone who was suffering from withdrawal and they let several patients go in and I listened very closely and I recorded it. And this woman, this nurse, I was getting upset and you could physically see that I didn't get up. I was not verbal at all. She came over, saw I was irritated, knelt down in front of me and put her hand on my thigh and said, you need to calm down. Oh, jeez. Oh, how that's that's you escalating see? things not de-escalating things <laughs> i took this woman's hand very gently i looked her in the eye and i took her this facial expression and i took her hand off of me and i said excuse me we have been sitting here for seven hours and this person needs a connection to a detox and your hospital has direct referral and we are not leaving here until we are seen mm-hmm. what you are doing is stigmatizing and I will not mm-hmm. tolerate it. That's mm-hmm. what I said to her. Mm-hmm. And this happens, this happens. They let them wait in there until they leave. And yeah. I am not blaming nurses. I am not blaming anybody. There is no blame here. We're talking about why. Give us an answer, Cornwall, and solutions. If you need more employees or you need more people working in that, you should be looking at people like us that have been sober a certain amount of time, that have experience in the field, that you can collaborate. Like, you know how they have a PSW program? They have a mechanic program. They have all these programs, and they're only 10 months long, and they cost under $5,000. You're trying to tell me you can't make a mental health and addictions worker that doesn't affect a paper past? I've already created a program as such and have written it out. So mm-hmm. if you're interested, any professionals out there listening, give me a call. My yeah. number is 613-861-2092. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, what I yeah. do is I, I call the colleges. I've been to Toronto University. I've been to Ottawa University. I've been to Algonquin. And I just go in there, just like Jezebel Tinfoil Mouthpiece, Sober Savage. And I say, here's my business card. I'm a normal human being. This is what I'm trying to do. And I've been speaking to first-year addiction students. 
Nice. Nice. Right. Wow. It, I think it's important too because you know it, it's it's one thing to have this the book smarts. It's a total different thing to have the street smarts. Yeah. Um. And and have the experience of a living with it, and b being with people, um, that are living with it, and and yeah. and and you have a completely different perspective than theory. You know. So it's important. <laughs> it's important. I think it would be really beneficial for from having a program that that would immerse people who have recovered into helping with with other people's recoveries. Yeah, and see, I don't really know what I'm doing, um, <laughs> but you're no, pleased about like, it. I am okay. So here's the thing: I do have a little bit of education. I did take um, addictions and mental health programming through UBC University online. So I am I am a counselor. I could could work in the field. Um, I only worked in the field once for six months, and I found it whoa. And I thought, you know what? I don't really know what I want to be when I grow up. So what I I don't. So I started my first year, I started my blog, Tinfoil Mouthpiece, Sober Savage, and I started writing. And I just wrote anything that I learned, anything that didn't sound right to me. Um, and I wrote it always in, a, in, in like a statement. So I statement or we as a whole. And, and it just it, it grew and it grew. But it wasn't about the numbers. It's about the quality of interaction. I have I, I call them Jane Doe and John Doe. So I have a list of over 137 people that have called me since 2020 that live here in Cornwall. Mm -hmm. And I've been able to assist them through the system just based on me doing this with you. So I don't really know what I'm supposed to be when I grow up, but I think my higher power is telling me I'm doing it right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, so. I, I think I think advocacy and speaking is the gift of my purpose. I think some people are uh, writers, some people I mean, there's, we're all gifted. Every single a recovered person that lives with mental health and a substance abuse disorder is a miracle, if you ask me. And I feel like if I can't help you, I in, or you don't even like me. That's fine. I can indefinitely find you someone who can. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's really what this is all about. I also want to take a minute to mention Madison, Jeremy, and Trevor, who are three wonderful people in this community that participated with Recovery Day Canada and are the first nonprofit in Cornwall opening up next month. Oh, nice. Their name is Help Mental Health and Addiction Services Cornwall. So please, please do check them out. Um, of course, it is their organization, although we have collaborated and I will be meeting with Madison and we're hoping to have maybe some beds there. Um, talk about some harm reduction, how we can have harm reduction more. I want to say thank you, Cornwall and all the wonderful people that worked on the opioid crisis and Eastern Ontario Health Unit. I was on that board, too, for the van, the harm reduction van that's out and running around town with full schedule now. That's a start in the right direction. Mm -hmm. So this facility, yeah, this facility I'm talking about is going to be a drop-in center. Uh, we want it to be a comfortable place that's going to house some recovery meetings, maybe some similar programs to what mental health already has here in Cornwall. But we need more because there's not enough mm -hmm. staff, there's not enough social workers, and it's not their fault, people. You have to be your own hero. You have to call every week. You have to. Or, I mean, the only other options are jails, institution, or death. 
I hate to put it to you, but that's all we got. So if you're out there and you're alone, even if you just need somebody to touch base with, you can call me. I can hook you up with a male. Boys go together. Girls go together. We want to keep that. That you know, It's very important that we work together. And I'm very active in our community. I know all of the meetings here in and outside town. I can even get you rides to detoxes within two hours. Um, and we also have like wellness layovers. So like there's a few people in recovery here working behind the scenes um, that let people stay in their home mm -hmm. or yeah. Like I, I was reluctant to tell you this, but I've had over seven young boys from St. Denis live with me. Why you ask? Because their transition house isn't big enough to house the house, the uh, rollover. Yeah. And this, this one young man, of course he remains anonymous. I respect the, anything you say to me, to Jezebel in this town stays here in the vault. Okay. Uh -huh. um, I can't help you if you can't trust me. Mm -hmm. and, and and that yeah that's really important that's another reason why a lot of us don't met, people with mental health disorders we don't want to ask a professional because we've probably been you know we've had an experience but yeah. if you talk to someone like myself or I know many other people like me I'm not terminally unique okay um um could have fooled me yes. <laughs> no stop it um <laughs> we all have something special I have a loud tinfoil mouthpiece <laughs> So anyways, what I'm saying is that you are not alone. There is help. Don't let excuses like, oh, there's a wait list. Oh, this. Oh, I'm not good enough. You are enough the way that you are and you deserve to have a quality of mental health that requires a little bit of extra oomph, you know, and that's just really what we're dealing with right now. I have all those solutions. Of course, you notice how I'm speaking. I don't give everything away because a lot of things are private. I don't want to overrun certain institutions. And I have a full list on a clipboard of what's available, what I can do. So I, I you know, I really could do this for a job, but nobody's paying me, you know, so, <laughs> but I love it. And um, if I can be a high functioning a person with mental health and you know I've made mistakes in my recovery I've made mistakes I've been around people I shouldn't have been around that caused triggers for me I didn't know what triggers were even though I'm paper intelligent even though I'm very smart um, I had no emotional intelligence suffering mm -hmm. with mental health and addiction for so many years and I believe a lot of people can relate to that it, and you you have the feeling of I'm dumb I'm stupid I'm not worth it I should you know and those are ideations that you don't have to go through alone. And that's why I really want to get out there and, and be in the community and really just, I'm going to get emotional. I just really want to be of service and I want to see people reaching out and not being afraid and not dying, you know? And another thing I really, really want to hit on because it's been bothering me for a year is this one thing people say about fuck fentanyl dealers. Okay. I want people to understand really what stigma is, okay? Fentanyl and drugs are crossed when they're put on scales at drug houses, okay? So a lot of the times it's not intentional that those things have been tainted, okay? Sometimes it is, but that's irrelevant. When you say fuck fentanyl dealers you are saying fuck that human and their family and their mother and their children and their father you're no better 
right? If we were to say, I reached out to someone that said that and said, where's the fentanyl dealer? I messaged him. I called someone who was doing really good advocacy in our town who unfortunately got arrested. I called him in prison and spoke to him, you know, and said, don't be afraid to come back to our town and hold your head high. It's just a relapse, man. You Mm -hmm. can do this, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's what we need. None of, I don't look at the fucking police blotter. I don't read the news. I read your paper. I read the national once a week and I read the local news and that's it. Okay. If you are paying attention to everybody else's lives, you are a part of the problem. Sorry. I don't care what you say. True. I mean, it's, it's nobody's business. Right. And it's, uh, it's it's, it's it's not it's not black and white it's like it's all the shades of gray in between and and you know it's like um is it like does the mental illness come first does the addiction come first is it like so it, it's so intertwined yeah you know a lot they of go people, together it's called it's, dual diagnosis right. dual diagnosis concurrent disorders is the actual medical word for what happens and i can explain that process to you there are only three ways a person becomes an addict mm-hmm. would you like go to ahead. know that yes yes, yes. yes. <laughs> i would love to know that okay so the most common um would be childhood abuse but when people think of childhood abuse they think of um actual physical right? Sometimes mental, but they don't think about psychological warfare. Okay. So I'm going to use myself as an example because I'm a very specific case. I endured corporal punishment. Do you know what corporal punishment is? Spanking? Military. Okay. So when I came to school, I will tell you one story and one story only. I use it when I do my, my speaking. Um, because, you know, I don't want anybody to get too far down the rabbit hole. Okay, My father was military. My father had an alcoholic father that abused him, locked him in cupboards and beat him. He was an only child. He left home at 15, joined the military and the military had corporal punishment. Corporal punishment is psychological warfare, but it is not beating. They don't hit the military soldiers. They put them in holes. They string them up with rope. They hose them down with pressure washers. That's what happened to me. So when I went to school, see my father, that's not my father's fault. My father's a wonderful man, intelligent man, loving man, but he was doing better in his mind because if it was good enough for the Canadian military, it must be okay. Discipline is love, right? So I didn't find that out till much later in life. And of course I had my daddy doesn't love me syndrome, right? Um, But that was never the case. That was never the case. Um, I'm very lucky to have my father to have had a conversation with me like that later in life. But let me get to the point. So, you know, I stole 50 bucks from my dad's wallet and got strung up and sprayed with this pressure pressure washer, right? I go to school the next day and I see a kid who's got a black eye and scrapes all the way down the side of his body. I am a little girl crying for them, going, at least my daddy doesn't do that to me, Mm. you know? So that was one of the, that is an example of childhood abuse on two different sides, Right. We've got social work dealing in the schools and this kid is visible. And then I've got corporal punishment, a stripe across my back from a pressure washer. But I didn't know that was abuse. Right. So as I get older, um, I move across the world. I move from British Columbia to Europe. I know no one. 
mostly don't speak the language everywhere we go. My little brother is all that I have as a friend. I miss those crucial points of socialization that are so important in a child's life. So was this my parents' fault? Absolutely not. Is it the system's fault? Absolutely not. My parents did everything those doctors told them to do, and they had very little information on my disorder back then. So I injured lithium. I now have stomach problems. Mm. I injured a partial lobotomy at 11 years old. I have brain glitches. I injured, yep, I injured being locked up in my first juvenile facility for six months when I was nine years old. So you see, I was already traumatized before I put one substance to my lips. That's one way and perfect examples, right? And Mm -hmm. I don't mind sharing. Um, The other way would be um, acute trauma, which would be like, you go through your life, you live a pretty normal life. There's not a lot of abuse going along in this kid's life, but then something traumatic happens. And they pick up a substance and instead of using coping skills, they progress. That's another way. Um, The third way, um, which I've heard a lot, which is really, really sad, is uh, induced addiction in children through abusive parents. You know, I know someone who had their first drink at 11 months old. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. One of my sponsees, in fact, she lives in Australia. Wonderful, wonderful lady. And, um, you know, when you get sober, you really are that emotional age. So think about it. Um, This is a theory that I've come up with. This is one of the things that I've written down in this program for training, okay, Um, that I believe would really, really help if we collaborated. Because I'm not, I don't have a lot of paper smarts. I would like to. Um, (laughs) But um, what was I going to say? It's like you really have to have a person trust you to be able to help them. And how can you do that when you, how can you do that when the whole world has taught you not to trust them? Mm-hmm. How, how do you do that? You know, and that's why I say I'm not the only one that I know lots of people out there. It took me a long time to be able to come in front of you and talk like this a long time time I did live videos back in the day but I was a different person than now I'm, I'm much softer around the edges um and it scares me sometimes <laughs> you know it's a beautiful yeah, it, thing it's a beautiful thing to see your vulnerability yeah. and and your smarts and um I I I really hope that you can um help so many people in our community like you're you're a really good and positive yeah. uh, force. Like <laughs> Attitude of gratitude is the only way. That's the first thing. Whenever somebody calls me, like somebody called me last week about how do I have somebody that needs a sponsor. Um, I'm like, okay, just a mentor, a sponsor, a wise friend, someone to help you through the program or to vent off of. And she said, how do you find a sponsor? I said, well, it's kind of slim pickings here in Cornwall, but what I do is I do a Zoom room every Sunday mm-hmm. and we do gratitude check-in. Nice. So and then I have and then I have some people that contact me, they don't have a sponsor and they're wait, they're on a wait list. So we do a gratitude list every day. So I got about a good 40 plus people that text me every day five things they're grateful for, different nice. every day. Yeah. And uh, that's I, really I, I how love- it started. 
I love that you're um, you're not waiting. You know, I love that you're taking action. I love that you're you're not waiting for this or that or the other to be in place. Mm -hmm. You're just getting things done. Yeah. You're, it, it's I'm creating it, but I don't know how I'm doing it. Like I really don't. <laughs> and please do keep in mind that a lot of people do help me. My mentor. Uh, his name, he would not mind me sharing because I was so excited. I We talked about this. My mentor, um, I have two. So I have a female. All right. Let me back it up. Let me back up the list. <laughs> so because of the, the, the form of abuse that I had, I didn't match well with female sponsors. Because when I got to that type of abuse, most of them were mothers, they would get very triggered by it. And I'd feel so bad. I'm like, well, how am I supposed to work my program if I can't work with a female? Well, one day, I was in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And this man, Matt was speaking and Matt used to be um, an infantry soldier, he used to train, he's done so many things in the military. And he's also very active at the Cornwall Mental Health Center behind the scenes as well. And um, I, he was speaking, he was doing a 15 minute share and I had been in the program for a year and a half. I did not work a program. I did not make any friends. I was not on the interweb doing what I do now. I was mean. I came in like this. If you fucking tried to touch me, I would push you and tell you to fuck off. I was very sick. I was not me um, uh, mentally well. I wasn't mentally stabilized. It was only, you know, a year and a week sober and I didn't have a mentor. So He's speaking and he's talking about his military experience. I'm going, how the hell can this man have gone through corporal punishment and be this cool Zen hippie? Like, this is not possible. So I am just drawn to this man, like just tunnel vision. And then he said something that we will be friends forever because he said, you know, if you think you won't get it, Please know that there's a young lady in this room that's been coming here for a year and she's really angry. And she always brings her notebook and she always shares what she's grateful for. And she stayed and she's here. And that's all you have to do is keep coming back and stay. I bawled, I beelined for him in the parking lot and begged him to be my sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> he was talking about me. Yeah, No one had did. ever talked about oh. me in a good way, ever. Mm -hmm. You know, and, um, you know, that man to this day, he, <laughs> I love you, Matt, if you're listening, he drives me to my taxidermy, I'm a taxidermist, he, <laughs> he drives me, okay, I am, I'm crying. Uh, we'll get into that, um, he drives me to my taxidermy apprenticeship three, four times a week through the winter, um, anytime I have an issue, a problem, he is at my door, he doesn't take no for an answer when he knows that he knows my character flaws. Um, and I, he's the first person I really let know me. And he has encouraged everything I've done. I said, uh, maybe I should write a blog. He says, yes, you should. No. He says, maybe I should do, yes, you should. You know, he has always, I don't know what I would do without him. And so many other members, you go to some of the recovery meetings in this, in this town. And I tell you, you go to find some family, you walk through that door, you are not alone. You are not alone. I guarantee it. And if you don't like that meeting, go to all of them. Find them all. I've got over a thousand online and I've got three 24-hour rooms for all mental right. health and addiction. <laughs> so they're, they're really, you know, there are the unfortunate though. And let's take a minute to talk about them, the unfortunate. 
there are the unfortunate and the unfortunate sometimes just don't want help. So what can you do? And that's the issue. uh, That's the (laughs) issue. You have to want the help. That's the thing. And that's unfortunately what happened with my son. We tried and tried and tried and he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready. So what, what can somebody do when they see somebody um, being self-destructive, self-sabotaging mm-hmm. and, and keep going to the addiction. But you know, you know that talking is only going to aggravate the yeah. whole situation oftentimes. So what do you well, do? With family members, it's off. Uh, it's awful difficult because let's think about it logically. Okay. We've got a lot of built up resentment, right? A lot of built up resentment and it's, it shows, Uh, in body language and other things as well. So often our family members are not always the best ones to help us, Mm -hmm. right? So that's one thing I want to say. So I'm going to talk about your side now, who you are and the part that you play um, because you love us and bless you for it. Um, You're not going to like what I'm about to say, but oftentimes it's very important to detach with love and seek assistance and counsel for yourself. Why? Because it will help to guide you through how to best help that person without triggering them further. And it will also help you to deal with if they should die. Right? I know that sounds harsh. I know it's not what you want to hear. But the bottom line is things like Al-Anon, Alateen, and ACA, which everybody should do in my opinion, which is adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families. I've been a member for three years. Um, Those meetings teach our loved ones how to have boundaries, how to help us, how to love. So the answer is I cannot give you specific answers because every case is different. I can tell you that protecting your own mental health while helping your loved one is imperative, right? Um, Examples. You know, for 20 years, my parents let me walk all over them. I stole my mom's brand new Mazda 3, flipped it three times, and my dad found the GPS, found me, pulled me out of the car, videotaped it, and then they had me put in jail. That was smart. They had a restraining order on me for four years. That was smart. They had come to terms with my death, but I'll tell you why. Because my brother was 17 uh, We're in a car accident in 2001, and I lived, he died. We were both drunk and high, Hmm. and uh, it was a week before his 17th birthday. And I remember calling my parents from uh, prison, asking them to, I haven't talked to them in years, and I remember asking them to take me on. I think this was about 2010, and I knew no one without a criminal record. I knew even my sponsor couldn't get me out because my charges were so bad, right? And... um, I called my dad and my mom and my dad got on the speakerphone and said, listen, we've come to terms with your disease and we've come to terms with your brother's death. And if you choose to die that way too, we're okay with that. We love you. Click. That That's- set a ball in motion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I went, I went hardcore for seven more years, ended up in prison again. And then, um, I had been in and out of AANA, all of the A's, um, most of my, well, my 20s, my 30s. I came in my first program when I was 26. 
I didn't get sober till I was 36. I am now 41. I just celebrated five years in November. Congrats. So yay. Yeah. Yeah. Milestones are important. I never thought I would be here doing this. I never thought I, I didn't uh, think I would make it past 25 when I did. I just kept going harder. Um, and mine was very progressive throughout the years. But my parents did a lot of things that uh, were suggested to them through uh, actually Al-Anon and also um, their therapists. Right. So um, detaching with love is really hard for family members is sometimes necessary. Or, you know, you can still be in their life, but you have to have good boundaries. So when they call you asking for money, there's no gift cards because we sell them for drugs, people. Um, there's no um, <laughs> there's no buying us clothes with tags on it because we'll sell them for drugs, people. Um, <laughs> but you can bring us food. You can offer always to take us to a meeting or whatever it is you're doing that's conducive to our well-being. You never stop loving Never stop trying, but you must have boundaries or we will manipulate, beguile and walk all over you. We are masters of it. And it is not, we don't want to do it. It's a disease. Yeah. Right. And, you know, if you want to argue with me that it's a choice, good freaking luck. It's in the Canadian medical journal. So I don't argue with people. Yeah. Sure. You're right. Whatever. I don't care. Um, I know what I know. <laughs> so, and I know that I cannot take a substance uh, because it alters my mood. But see, the thing is, is that when we stop, the first couple of weeks are the hardest because we have pause, post-acute withdrawal sim syndrome, symptom syndrome. And um, they're so intense that we want to numb them immediately. And that's why sometimes detox is absolutely necessary for hardcore drug users. Um, a lot of people that have alcoholism too, you're at high risk if you're not getting medical detox, if you've been drinking 25 years, you know, you could have a heart attack, you could, your liver could burst. You don't know. And detoxes are a lot easier to rotate through. So for example, if, if you can go to a detox uh, for a week and then hook yourself up with a recovered person, or a one-on-one -on -one counselor at the Mental Health Cornwall Center, which is possible within two to three weeks. I, I'm not kidding. It's, mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and you can probably do outpatient on your own. But we don't know what we can do because we don't, we don't have, we don't talk like this in Cornwall. So here's a no? question. So if, if somebody's waking up this morning and saying, that's it, I don't want this anymore. Where do they go? Like, how do you, can you just check yourself into detox? You I'm as an adult, there. you have to call and you have to book it. Yeah. So for example, there's Montreal, Montreal Road, there's five detoxes within an hour to two hours of us. Their weight rates are not that high because the longest you stay there is maybe two weeks, right? So you would have to call the detox and, uh, you know, uh, you can, they're easy to Google. You just Google Ottawa detox, Kingston detox, Rockville detox. And you call them yourself and you say, I'm a person, I can't stop. And okay, we'll put you on the bed list. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't take more than about a week or two. Now, of course, it's going to be hard to get through those two weeks, but that gives you an opportunity to reach out to a recovery person, go to a freaking meeting, maybe get some phone numbers. And that's the meat and potatoes in our community. We are all behind the scenes. We are here. We mm -hmm. need to come out. Mm -hmm. I'm coming out. I'm coming out. But anyway, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not ashamed. I'm not shy. I have no fear. You can't hurt my feelings because my feelings are mine. What taught me that? Going through every single mental health program at the Cornwall Mental Health Center, having a one-on-one -on -one counselor, having a psychotherapist, having a mentor in AA, 
doing all of the recovery programs. We even opened a Dharma recovery meeting here on Friday nights. And Dharma is very new to people in our community. We are the very first what Dharma recovery it? meeting what, in yeah, Ontario. What is it? What is it? <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you asked. Dharma <laughs> recovery is based on the uh, Buddhist practice. Mm-hmm. Very loosely based. Um, we do a lot of meditation and we talk about the three green mints. So it's a little bit different than doing a 12-step program. But let me tell you something about the 12 steps, okay? It's called the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's this big, huge blue book and it looks really intimidating. And it has old English and it was written in the early 1930s, right? And it's never changed. Well, there's a reason for that. Because the literature is direct as a manual, a textbook. It is not meant to be used as a leisurely story of how to recover. It is meant as a textbook to use with a mentor to teach the true meaning of how it works Mm -hmm. through this stuff. So now what I did was... I didn't have enough social interaction. I felt like something was missing in my recovery. So I went online and I found clean and sober punks. Obviously, I am a punk, right? And I thought, oh, my God, this is what? Oh, it was a non-secular 12-step group. And it said, welcome freaks and geeks and weirdos. Oh, I'm in. So I go to this meeting online and I'm just bawling at four years sober. I'm home. I was missing proper social interaction with people with that I folks. like. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, it, it, you know, then that's what they teach you in the program. Principles before personalities. Often you will not like people in those rooms, but it doesn't matter. You all suffer from the same thing and you're all there for the same thing to help each other be of service. So you put your principles before your personalities. So I had to find outside rooms. So when I went there, I found Dharma and I had a, um, they, we call it a Sangha, which is really just a group, a family. Mm-hmm. So my Sangha uh, did some Reiki healing with me and I had never ventured into that spirituality before. And once I was aligned, I became this woman that is just so fierce and, and unstoppable. And I was like, yeah, I'm not letting humans stop me anymore. I found my group and then I started practicing Dharma. So I can meditate completely, even or surrounded by people for approximately 30 minutes now. And that took two years. Wow. When I used to react, because uh, we're reactors, right? Uh, anyone that has mental health, um, um, active mental health or active substance abuse, we are reactors. We don't have, we don't know how to control any emotional regulation whatsoever. Right. So, and that's not our fault. That's just, and I'll explain that in a minute, but um, Dharma is how it works. Okay. The big book is the instructions of how it works, mm-hmm. but it doesn't say that anywhere. This is something you learn from your own experience and please take what you need and leave what you don't from me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there might be some things I say you don't uh, really care about at all or think I'm crazy, but that's just fine by me. Just find what works and stay alive, not dead, will you? Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. So clean and sober punks, uh, punks in recovery have been an online family. I'm flying down to see them this year. We all go to shows together and we practice the 12 steps hardcore. And I love them. If it wasn't for those groups, I wouldn't be so loud in, in Cornwall because I was quite alienated for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, yeah, I really was. And listen, 
I don't, it doesn't really, that's why I say I'm not terminally unique. None of us are, but I do recognize that I am artistic. I artistically and aesthetically am different in Cornwall. But when I go to California, fuck, I'm nothing. I'm a spring chicken. <laughs> you know, like when I go back home to Victoria, East Van, the punk scene, they, they you know what they call me? They call me a punkalina fluffy punk. <laughs> <laughs> they think I'm fluffy, like a hippie, which I kind of am. But, but anyways, that's my point. That's what I'm saying is that when you're waiting for help, that's what you do. You got to call a detox on your own if you're over yeah. the age of 18 because no one can do it for you. Yeah. If you are having trouble, you can actually, like if you're having the, the shakes, the DTs, or you're withdrawing, you know what? You call me and I will get you through the detox. I'll do all the talking for you and then hand the line over if you want. No problem. Done it many times. Not a problem. Um if it takes that for you to get the help that you need, I'm willing to do that. I've done it many times. Um, but that's what you have to do. That's your first step. If you cannot withdraw with a safe person in a safe environment medically and you need medical help, you need to go to a detox. There are five in our surrounding areas. And there, there's also, we also, I also want to give a shout out to uh, my friend, Aaron. I hope he doesn't mind me mentioning him. Aaron is a wonderful person. Um, Aaron is born and raised here and he started a small Facebook page called the addicts agenda. Um, so please go join that group. It's, it's, it's a support group. It's the only local group that we have here besides my tinfoil mouthpiece blog. Um, that's helpful in our community. Uh, I hope. And, um, Aaron, Aaron has been very motivational. I've watched him grow and he knows so many people in this community too. And I really hope to collaborate with him in the future. I've asked him a couple of times, but it's just not the right timing is all right. So I just want to give a shout out to Aaron. I love you. I hope to spend some more time with you and get to know you better. And I hope we can do some recovery and fun shit together. All right, bro. So a couple shouts out to people that have worked really hard in the community, you know, sorry, I had to. <laughs> yeah, no, that is that is absolutely but the, but fine. the basic the basic thing uh, is you have to want the help, right? You do have to want the help. Um, although I want to point out that the reason why I emphasize on contacting someone like myself or someone like Aaron or Madison or people that are in recovery is that sometimes we have the je ne sais quoi, the really I don't know what to tell you mm -hmm. that you don't have. Right. And I can't explain it. Um, sometimes I it's called a 12 step call in AA um, where you go to someone's home like a family. I've done this. So a family member called me and they said, my cousin, this. No, 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 no. So I asked a whole bunch of questions. Nothing personal. Just where do they live? What drugs do they use? Uh, are they willing to talk to someone? Right. I asked the basic general questions that an intake nurse would ask. Mm -hmm. OK. And then I go from there. I go, OK, well. Here are our options. What would you like to do? And um, they tell me. So I then went to, I, I called that cousin and said, hi, I, did your cousin talk to you about me? Do you remember who I am? And yeah, and we started having a conversation. He was a little defensive at first, but I was able to help him and say, that's okay. I understand. I think these people just really love you a lot, mm -hmm. you know? And then he talks some more. And then I'm like, well, I don't know if you want help, but if you do, I'm here and you have mm -hmm. my number now, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And you have all the information I gave you, right? Yes. Okay. So it's kind of like an intervention, but yeah. Without intervention and right shame. Up. 
right, right, right. It, it's not conducive to bring a person who's yeah, ill out of the public. Can you, and ima- you- can you imagine how how um, humiliating that would be? I know how it is because my just- parents did it to me. I was just I was just watching Breaking Bad last night with my kids. I'm rewatching it, and um, mm-hmm. and then there was this this episode where Walt is, you know, um, I want to say uh, like hijacked by his family, where he goes in the room, and then they're all there waiting with the pillow, yeah. the talking pillow, <laughs> waiting yeah. for for uh, doing an intervention like I'm like oh my god do you think any of those people had any lived experience no and and (laughs) like sorry but that's funny and I was just talking about this in fellowship after a meeting last night sometimes after a meeting in zoom we stay in the room and we goof around right and we were talking about the show the soft white underbelly and intervention and I actually know someone who was on the first intervention show for transgender mm-hmm. and it was horrible but we were talking about how horrible the show was and why we you know but then we were talking about the good aspects that came out of that right mm-hmm. so what I'm talking about I think if I were to develop it into an educational program what I do I would call would be uh, a family recovery liaison that's what I've decided that it would be called and yeah. what it kind of is, right? It, it makes and sense. Yeah, and that's what I did. It's just a, a guider, a helper. And there's a lot of people that are employed in the United States that have criminal records that took one mental health course for six months, and this is what they do for a living independently. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of looking towards doing that myself. Mm-hmm. So because I already know so many people and I've participated with the professionals here, I'm kind of hoping they might, um, I don't know how yet. I've said that a couple of times, but dog will tell me doing only good. My higher power will tell me um, when it's ready, what to do. But I know that something's going to happen and it's going to be great. And I don't know what it is, but I feel it, you know? Yeah. I feel it. Recovery liaisons would be so great here. It would increase a little bit of employment. It would help to educate people that, you know, like imagine somebody just comes out of Innis Penitentiary and their parole officer says, oh, by the way, I have a part-time job for you being a liaison. Now you have to follow the program. You have to stay sober. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. And that's what I did in the prison system. The honorariums I went to do were to do a trial program for jail recovery liaisons Mm -hmm. for people like myself to be partnered with recent or up for parole out being released so they can function in society because we're so Mm -hmm. institutionalized. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. But COVID hit and they canceled all my contracts for two years. Yeah. Had to go back on the system. Had to take shitty jobs. So, but Hey, I mean, you do what you got to do. Absolutely. So Jess, before we leave, um, I want to um, be reassured that you will give us all this information for us to put out there. I want to make sure that uh, our uh, viewers have all the information they need, all the resources mm-hmm. and or just your phone number and um, they can contact well, you if there's anything. Jesus, Murphy, I wish I. Oh, wait, do I have it here? Hold on one second. One second. Shoot, I don't have it. Okay, so I actually, well, I just don't have it on hand, but 
Um, the, the city, actually, the Eastern Ontario Health Unit paid for us to make a piece of paper for Recovery Day that's double-sided, that has everything from Ottawa here to Aquasasami. Okay. So I have been distributing those flyers throughout the city. There are some at Mental Health, and I will take a picture of it and post it online as well. Great. Wonderful. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that is it for us today. It's already 11.15. The time flew wow. by. You're a great guest. I didn't have to talk at all. No, it was <laughs> wonderful. Is that a good thing or not? It is. It's a good thing. I didn't have to, didn't have to think at all. So that's great. But you wanted to jam as much as we could well, into this. And you, yeah. And you yeah. certainly did. You certainly and, did. And listen, let's... Wow. let's Let's get together and talk about how we as a seeker can help get your message out there. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we do this together. This is a we thing. And uh, I need you guys. I need you all. So anybody that's curious or interested or, you know, whatever, hit me up. I am public. Awesome. Thank all right, you. Jess, have a great day. Thank, yeah, you, thank so you so much. You all right. Bye, bye, ladies. Bye. Bye. All right, wow. my lease. So, um, as you know, I have to go. Like, I have some business to tend to, unfortunately, today. So, I guess our taste test will have to wait until next week. I don't and think it. I don't think this will wait. But I'm oh not... well, we can get it again next week to yeah, taste yeah. it. Um, if you have any suggestions about what we can try on our Monday morning motivation, please uh, let us know. Send well, it in I, the text I box am below. Let people know what we are going to taste next week. So if they want to purchase it, they can. There you go. So we have tortilla chips made by Farm Boy. So you can purchase them at Farm Boy. And then we have, we have the cranberry pecan ball. Mm -hmm. And what's yours, Julie? I can't remember. Mine oh. is bacon cheddar. Whoops. What we did, was, yeah, bacon cheddar and cranberry pecan cheese ball. And these are both made at Farm Boy as well. I'm really anxious to uh, try them, but we're going to do it next Monday, guys. So if you want to purchase it in between, you can join us next Monday and try it with us. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's it for today. If you have events, don't forget to send them to either info at theseeker.ca or go on our website at theseeker.ca and click on events and submit your event for uh, the calendar. Especially, Things are Especially for April. Things yeah. are opening up and we're working on the April Seeker and we would love to see at least two pages of events. Yep. That'd be great. In there. All right, guys. So that's it for us for today. Have a great day. And a super duper week. See you Bye. next week.